This is a yelling podcast. From Poconatch to Plans and everything in between, this is Magnified Pod, the only podcast that discusses culture, religion, politics, and the entire discography of everyone's favorite left coast punks, MXPX. And we have a special guest today, John. Very special episode of Magnified Pod. Yep. So I'm Andrew Phelan, and sitting next to me is... John Potter. What's up? John, you don't need to... <laughs> Does it I, sound weird? I don't have headphones on. I can't tell. How's this? <laughs> that, was, that was perfect. Okay, so uh, for all of you deaf people out there, we have Jason Hockney Zymet, probably the um, biggest MXPX fan that I've ever met. He has also been, in the past 10 years, in recent years, done uh, some video production with the band so physical media physical media so he is um decided to grace our presence today to talk all things mxpx and uh he has decided and has been willing to discuss some of the upcoming releases that uh, the band is planning from the music video to the album to artwork so we are seeing it all but as um, we are not going to be able to re- release this until that's all been said and done. So um, anyway, Jason, welcome. Thank you guys for letting me come to Chicago. <laughs> yes, thank you for you. specifically coming to Chicago. We yes. flew you out. We flew you out. How yes, was, you right. how, was uh, how was first the class? The place you guys put me up in is fantastic. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like... One chandelier is enough. Two is a little bit gaudy. It, it is gaudy, but I do like it over the bed. Okay, so that's fine. Yeah, just it's a um, little dangerous, but I I hear that's how you like to live. Just a little bit on the edge. I definitely <laughs> live on the edge of a cliff all the time. So let's can you let's get in a little bit. Let's get in a little bit. Yeah, let me move it right here. How's that, that? Sounds, that's that's great. Great. So okay. This is our first episode that we're recording since we launched, so we've been getting some good feedback. Uh, I've been posting a lot of stuff on social media. Um, It is me who's doing a lot of the stuff, Um, just so if I interact with anybody to get an idea of who's who, it's typically me. You're saying me, but people might not know your name. That's true. Again? Yes, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. I mean, my, my distinctive my distinctive voice. John's the more... Got the baritone. He's got the, uh, yeah, I have the Nick more... Nick Offerman style. High, <laughs> fluty kind of voice. Okay. Um, but, so I posted um, yesterday, I think it was, that just, hey, you know, we got a new episode out. It's about teenage politics. And... Jason's like, hey, I'm in Chicago too, and everything sort of happened real quick, and then here we are. So um, happy to be doing this. In the MXPX world, by the way, there's no other way to operate than very quickly and without consideration or pre-planning. That's a very common theme you'll find with anybody who deals with the band, which is great. Cool, cool. So just sort of like snap decisions this is happening right now spontaneous spontaneous and um it keeps life interesting certainly so 
in my quick research um, and through our communication, you first discovered the band in 1996, correct? That's correct. So what was that like? Was it buying an album? Was it seeing a show? Was it... I think it was actually 1995 when I heard on the cover. Okay. Or maybe... I'd heard about the show from Blenderhead and um, MXPX from the Teenage Politics Tour that they were doing. And that was kind of a catalyst tour for the band because they were not the headliner, really. Blenderhead was the headliner, and they were kind of coming up the ranks very quickly. And I think Billy Power in Blenderhead would talk about the fact that most people came at that show to just... It was a phenomenon that was happening very quickly for MXPX. Young Mm -hmm. guys that were charismatic, playing very loud and fast music uh just sort of caught on like wildfire so i think i heard about a show uh for them in denver colorado and then listened to on the cover for me hearing that start of summer of 69 Mm -hmm. and hearing in a lower key than i was used to from brian adams Mm -hmm. just felt more punk rock more raw yeah less produced less auto-tuned i really resonated with that at that time i was listening to a lot of music that was sort of coming out at that time that was in the Green Day genre, the Rancids, the Green Days, the stuff that was kind of popular on the radio, sure. Offspring. But I hadn't heard something that apparently was Christian identifiable. And so when I was able to take that information back to my parents and say, hey, I like this band. I want to go seek out other bands that are Christian that are on CD. It was like getting a free record collection from your parents. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because they were like, oh, I'll buy you anything that you're willing to buy from the the bookstore. Yeah. Do so, you know about the chart that had oh, the... Oh, of course. <laughs> okay. Did, so we, we talked about this on our first episode, and this elusive folded piece of paper chart that had right. the... It's like, if you like bad religion, or you like Green Day, then you're going to like... Right. If X, you like Lagwagon, you're going to like Dogwood and Craig's Brother. Right. Yeah. So Diamante was the distributor for that. It was like a Christian market, punk rock, and hardcore distributor. Those guys made that poster, and oh. they had... A rundown of all the tooth and nail artists, as well as the bulletproof artists, and, okay. and some of these other record labels from back in the day, like Squad Five O. So they would say, "Hey, if you like Operation Ivy, Squad Five O, what I believe is your record." Yeah. And so yeah, I would go to the Christian bookstores and and listen to demo cassettes that were offered from Diamante, and I would look at the poster and say, "Hey, wait, Spud Gun doesn't sound anything like Rancid. They're terrible." Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but MXPX was spot on for me in a lot of areas that branched away from just a very overproduced sort of offspring in Green Day. Yeah. They were much more real to me. So yeah. the first show that they came back to town in Denver was the Small Town Minds Tour with 90 Pound Wuss and Value Pack. Mm, jealous of that. So I bought my first record there, which was the Small Town Minds 7-inch mm-hmm. that they had made. And uh, seeing specifically 90 Pound Wuss was a very shocking cultural experience <laughs> for me. Yeah, The guy, I mean, the, this was a low venue and the rafters hung low on the stage and so jeff um Mm -hmm. betker who's who was called jeff suffering at that time he would climb up on the rafters and hang upside down and do half the set upside down with blood rush into his head and you could you couldn't hear anything the guy was saying it just sounded like noise and like the exploited Mm -hmm. but something resonated with me that i felt like this is kind of a coddled environment Mm -hmm. because it felt like it was a christian market but it was also raw and intense and I like the m- melodicness of Value Pack. I like the melodicness yeah. of MXPX. So, yeah, from that moment, I said, okay, I got to get really deep into this thing. And 
I'm a person that once I discover something like that, I want to know all there is and the ins and outs of it. So I started going to Cornerstone, like you guys did. Well, John never actually made made it it. to... He's... um, John's from Minnesota. I'm actually living... have lived in the Chicago area for almost 25 years. So I was... It's a little easier to make it down to Bushnell um, from the suburbs. It was like... And we drive out from Colorado. Okay, yeah. So I guess driving from Minnesota, that's no excuse. But it felt like this... Elusive far. paradise, yeah. <laughs> Although our my high school and college band applied for the like new band showcase and yeah. we didn't make it. I played that the impromptu okay. stage for sure nice. in a band that I I made up that day. <laughs> Assembled of just random campers and yeah. named Miles of Waste. Ooh, okay, after like a Project eighty six song. Okay, and right I remember Josh McDowell who wrote that book. Don't check your brains at the door. Uh-huh. He was speaking in the tent next to us, and he said. Of our music, apparently. This is heard third hand. <laughs> it sounds like a woman's in labor <laughs> next door. That's a which good is pull exactly quote to put on correct there. of an eight piece ensemble of hardcore uh-huh. improv you know, improv. <clears throat> Sorry, um, eight piece? Eight piece. <laughs> That's um, a lot of pieces. <laughs> can you break down the pieces? Four singers. <laughs> of course. Two bassists. <laughs> uh, a guitarist or I'm sorry, a, a guitarist and a drummer. I was a drummer. Okay, so one guitar player, two bass players. Correct. Okay. Just and four wanna, singers. Just as a bass player, I appreciate that. It was like going to a campsite and saying, "Hey, y'all want to play at Cornerstone?" Yeah. I used that Tennessee accent, so it sounded more endearing. It works. Y'all guys want to play? It's less. It's less threatening. What kind of music are you guys? Do you sound like? Well, we're kind Do of you like, like Havelina Rail Cole, but more hardcore. Uh-huh. So uh, that's amazing. I, yeah, I hitchhiked to that cornerstone that year in 1998 i remember that's that cool. <laughs> that's a random story okay so we both grew up in similar backgrounds right yes all of us yes where we listened to christian market music and yes. mxpx was obviously at the top of the totem pole yep yep and i was going up to seattle a few times uh, back in 98 97 because my dad had uh, leukemia hmm. i'd go up to seattle and visit him doing a bone marrow transplant but i would always ask I want to go to Bremerton, and I want to go to Pioneer Square because I want to see where Tooth & Nail Records is. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what this was. My parents just said, hey, he's into something. Yeah. He's distracted, so that's a good thing. He's uh, not doing meth. so Right, let's he's take into it. this. So we'd go to Bremerton, and I was the kid that always thought like, if I walked through Bremerton, that MXPX that. would walk up to me and be like, hey, you want to hang out <laughs> right now? Did you ever see Sir Mix-a-Lot? No, he's Tacoma, so oh, he's man. south. Like Another thirty-five minutes from Bremerton. Well, yeah, you, uh, yeah, John was saying that he he wrote a he wrote a song about Bremelos. The Bremelos. Have you heard of this? Uh, that makes sense. I <laughs> okay. get what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Bremerton is its own culture yes. for sure. Uh, so I thought, even as like a fourteen, fifteen-year-old kid, like, oh, MXPX will just happen upon me and say, "Would you like to hang out with us today?" Well, I mean, if you just watched any of their music videos, all they did was fucking just walk it around. It just felt Bremerton. like it was very accessible, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. You watch the Bremerton VHS that came from Bremerton, and you're like, yeah, these guys are just hanging around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I had a little bit less of a sense of vulnerability when I would meet them at shows. Sure. I'd see them at Warp Tour. I'd see them at small club shows in Denver, and I'd just walk up to them and feel very confident talking to them. And... I don't think they really had any concept of permanence as far as my relationship with them until about 2006 or seven, 
both Jared Scott and I, who's their photographer, mm-hmm. saw the, them play an acoustic set at a record store in Seattle. I was living in Seattle at that time, and, and we saw them play an acoustic show for maybe like the 10th anniversary of like Let It Happen or something weird, like a special re- re-release deluxe edition of Let It Happen. Okay. They played a, a show at a record store, and so both Jared approached them as, hey, I take photos. And I approached them as, I sell, I sell soda? <laughs> Uh-huh. It didn't really work together, but I said <laughs> I could put you guys on a soda bottle. I could put you guys on Jones soda bottles nationwide. I can do special contests with fans to put your faces on individual Jones soda bottles. I can tie it into uh, Alternative Press magazine. We'll have a magazine spread on the back and all that stuff. It's all bullshit. I didn't know what I was talking about. I just assumed that it would be willed into being, and it did. Uh, but I didn't know anybody at alternative press or whatever <laughs> i was friends with the guys at tooth and nail john frazier was a really good buddy of mine and he runs this label called spartan records now he's been around for a long time and he said we'll just do a contest with Jones soda and so i hand rolled labels back at the office for Jones soda with mxpx on their on their bottles that's awesome and i brought them bottles and then <clears> i'd go out to bremerton and see them at their their places of either residence or their little studio that they had built in uh, Mike's mom's backyard it was called, uh, I think it's called The Compound or something. Okay. They run Merch Arson a lot of it now. Right, right. It's where they did the Doing Time. Doing Time video, video was yeah. done there. They had a little studio there for a while where they recorded on the cover too. So right. I, I sat and watched them record on the cover too. And it's then Rens- I watched them. The, uh, the Renaissance EP, I think, didn't Yes, yeah. that's right. And, and, I, um, and, and they would call me when they were recording Secret Weapon because they were like, hey, can you bring us soda pop? And we had a vitamin water knockoff at that time. So I just brought them product at, they were recording Secret Weapon. And then they'd say things like, hey, do you want to record guest vocals? We're going to do guest vocals on Friday. That's cool. Or gang vocals for Secret Weapon. I said, yes, I would like to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was like 07-ish? Yeah, let's call it that. 07. So that time sort of you really began to endear yourself to the band. So how did you go from right. sort of a tangential, hey, I bring you guys products right. to doing videography or working? I don't know. It just sort of, you know, you you kind of hang in the same circles with people and and things would come up like at that time between 2000, let's call it after the Secret, Secret Weapon Tour, which was like at the end of 2009, there was a little bit of a sense of uneasiness about whether or not Tom and Yuri were going to stay in the band. Sure. For a good five years. Okay. They needed to get some real careers going to support their families and their homes and all these types of things. And I knew those guys. I'd hang out with Tom frequently in Bremerton because uh, he had a lot more free time. Mike was always doing projects constantly. He'd do Tumble Down when he wasn't touring yeah. with MXPX. He'd do a clothing line. For a legionnaire, he'd do all these sort of off sort of projects, whereas Tom and Yuri either needed to sort of like saddle up and get a real job or find alternate sources of revenue the same way that Mike did. Um, So those guys joined the Navy, right? essentially started building and learning a trade in Mm -hmm. the Navy shipyards of Bremerton. And I would hang out with those guys because they were always around. Mike was not always around, but I would hang out with Yuri and Tom just for lunch while they were riveting or learning something. Mm-hmm. Or take, I, I did a, uh, a TV 
spot for the show Modern Marvels on the History Channel. Okay. That was me filming Tom Wisniewski That's right. drinking Jones Soda. Yeah. Because I was around and had Jones Soda in my car at all times. I was driving a pink Jones Soda van. So I think that um, things like that started coming up. And when those guys weren't always around for playing shows, Mike was farming out, for lack of better words, uh, B-cast players of guys from Europe or other, like Chris from the Ataris played with MXPX for a while, and other guys would come into the band and play, which was cool. It was great. Like, they still sounded like MXPX. But the rehearsal part was hard for Mike because nobody locally knew their songs. I could play any song of MXPX today, forwards and backwards, on the guitar. So I I started to play with those guys, like just Mike and whoever a drummer was around in Bremerton to rehearse. So I did a show about it. I have a little series that I do, and I did a show about it for that. Um, But when you're around, you're just around, you know. And if you're not too big of an ass and you're not too big of a fanboy or whatever sure. you're just comfortable with another person as if they're an equal that's yeah. what it became about so sure we're fine it was good and then they'd start coming to denver more <clears throat> denver has always been a strong fan base for them since right. i was a kid so that's where the secret weapon beer was brewed right so no <sighs> secret weapon beer no that's silverdale okay yeah, yeah never mind i don't know what happened in denver Something. Five Iron's from Denver, okay, and so right. when Five Iron got back together, Five Iron Frenzy, yeah, uh, their first show up in Seattle. The other Five Iron? I don't. There's yeah. no others. <laughs> Five Iron Frenzy, the band, got back together, and and they were playing a show as part of their big reunion show. Right. And I I was with Mike at Monkey Trench, just hanging out. And I said, Why don't you just open that show? Yeah. That would be really fun. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have a band. Like, mm. I don't have a. MXPX is not playing right now, so I said, just play an acoustic thing. At that time, he was really into into public speaking. Okay. That was a thing that he was getting hired out for. Mm. He was doing public motivational speaking. Okay. So I said, do a combo. Do a show where you do motivational speaking for like 15 minutes, and you play an acoustic set, which was really ballsy of the guy. Yeah. Like, I got to admire that. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do, to stand in front of 3,000 people and do public speaking about whatever chasing your dreams right? well <laughs> you know? i mean it, it sort of makes sense because in the trajectory of the lyrics and the music that mike has been writing over the past decade plus it's been moving more towards a more positive more you know less less finger pointing less complaining less yeah. bitching right. and being like do what you want to do. Right. Achieve your dreams. Let's 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 do something positive. And I think that's that sort of makes <laughs> sense. It, it's as we all get older, we all sort of begin to identify that the world is not one thing. The sure. world is not definitely not Christian punk. The world is not Republican or Democrat. It's a lot of different things altogether. And I think that Mike's lyrics have reflected that, and his maturity has grown to say, "Okay, I see that I have experienced." multiculturalism, I've experienced a sociological gap between privilege and non-privilege. And when you start to recognize the chasm, you start to say, well, it's never one thing or the other. I was in a very dangerous part of Chicago today working and a giant pallet of soda exploded all over the place. And if I had been two blocks to the east of where it exploded, that product would have disappeared within five minutes. 
because people would have come in out of the woodwork to take the product that had exploded all over a pallet. I recognize that there's a sense of um, fairness and equality that I think I identify more with it, just the older you get. And Mike's lyrics reflect that. And so it's not one-sided, it's not one-dimensional. And I think he was exploring those ideas in sort of a public speaking sphere, which I thought was really fun to see him do that. Hmm. It, I mean, I, I'm a person who can get up in front of 2,000 people or 20 people feel just as confident, but that's not a unique, that, I mean, that is a unique skill set to For have. Sure. Yeah. And so to know Mike, who's a fairly introverted person and a fairly quiet person, to have him get up in front of that many people at the Five Iron Show and start to do that, I think was a really important moment for me as a fan to mm. witness. Mm. I didn't see him in that light before. I saw him at Cornerstone 98 kind of fumble through sort of half cocked ideas that anybody would have at 20 years old. You sure. know what I mean? I watched that video the other day of him playing the show I was at, Cornerstone 98. After that show, I got hit in the hit by a car, MC Hammer's car. What? <laughs> we were talking about the year that he played at. Cornerstone. That was the yeah, we, So we, it was. It was. I'm leaving MC Hammer for MXPX. Okay. He played at midnight. Right. That was a good year. Yeah. That was a very good year. <laughs> like Frank Sinatra. You know, I, 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 trying to remember the years that I went to Cornerstone because it's. Some there's like a four, five year span of times I was there, and and I definitely remember seeing them play the main stage a number of times. I remember uh, Squad Five O playing the main stage, uh, Project Eighty Six. That would have begun in like ninety nine. Yeah, because they were uh, not a main stager at ninety eight. Yeah. So it must have been it must have been post slowly, right? Um, and I saw you know Five Iron, Reliant K, um, just so I don't I I can I can uh, supertones. How do you feel about that era when you look back on it? Is this a formative thing for you, or is this? Uh, it was. I look back on it with a lot of mixed a lot of mixed emotions because you know i i was a very sincere uh john and i had the conversation about the to uh, to use a you know on fire john would say he was never on fire for jesus right. i was hard on your sleeve oh like to to a point where um i was i was so I was unbearable in high school. Got it. So a lot of, a lot of editorials in the student of, newspaper. Oh, I I wrote. I was an opinion editor for my school newspaper. Of course. So I wrote a, um, and and I and I use I talked about this in in um the slowly episode. I think we talked about Cornerstone, and how I use the term radicalized. I was radicalized by Cornerstone because of the Rock for Life anti-abortion tent that they had there i still have the abortion is mean button on my guitar strap oh i wore an abortion is mean patch on my backpack of course in high school i get it i wrote an article entitled abortion is mean Uh very nuanced (laughs) and and so i was very um i was like i want everybody to know what my beliefs are sure so when if somebody you know would you know, walk down the hall and they'd be like, ah, Jesus Christ. I'd say, 
is my Lord and Savior. <laughs> I was that guy. Whoa. I haven't yeah. heard that one yet. No. That's good. Yeah. And I, in, in one of my communications classes, we needed to do a presentation about someone we admire. And I did mine about jesus christ <laughs> i so, thought you were gonna say mike for a second no no <laughs> for for those who um you know you can't see me but i did a dramatic head turn when i it said very jesus dramatic. christ <laughs> i get it and yeah. uh and i got a i think i got a, like a b or b minus or something on it and i was convinced <laughs> I am being persecuted, uh-huh. but my reward in heaven mm. will be greater. It'll be more. Yes, because I am you get suffering. More gold coins. I'm suffering for the Lord right now. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that was so much suffering. <laughs> yeah, I was I was suffering uh, as a white dude, as a Christian uh-huh. in Arlington Heights. Yeah. You know, it was it was a I had a rough you go. Poor of guy. I was. Oh that gosh. was the neighborhood where the soda exploded, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's where he was doing his really sketchy deliveries. Mount Prospect, Arlington Heights. You oh don't want to don't want to go there after nine p.m. I get it, man. I totally understand that, and I understand that from a marketability standpoint. Now, having a view of the music industry that is fiercely independent and counter mainstream, having a sense of why I want to be sort of a, against the ebb and flow of what traditional music releases are about and traditional uh, sort of album cycles and dollars sort mm-hmm. of flowing into promotion of albums. I totally understand what you're saying because I bought it, Hook, Line, Sinker. Oh, for sure. Quite literally. Like, yeah. still have all the CDs, still have all the T-shirts, still have all the patches. It's sitting right there. So, yeah, I brought all my MXPX CDs just as a reference point, just in it. case we we discussed it. But, yep. um, like... We talked about this on the first episode. Now we have a reference. The Diamante, as you said. The, the they were the distributor of so, all things Christian. Not yeah. just Tooth and Nail, but Bulletproof Records, Screaming Giant Records, yeah. uh, Betty Rocket Records. Yeah, Betty so, Rocket was like a huge Me Too label for me. Hmm. Do you remember that record label? Noggin Toboggan, Sick oh, Change. Okay. I knew Noggin yeah. Toboggan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Frito Boat. Okay. Yes. All these bands. So there was this label that kind of a came of out of tooth and nail moving hmm. to capital christian emi right and diamante suddenly needed a distribution like void to be filled they had all these tooth and nail releases and all of a sudden it was gone hmm. so in comes betty rocket who's like you know the hmm. the me too label noggin toboggan sounded just like mxpx hmm. frito boat sounded just like shit you know <laughs> you just kept going down the line and you know, these guys could keep tempo but the point was it was a business decision sure and i think that recognizing that now it goes i was as much as i felt convicted and as much as i felt like i was really counter mainstream like i did listen to everything secular quote unquote okay as a as a as a teenager i didn't ever have that moment where i threw my non-christian cds in the fire good for <laughs> you i i didn't throw them in the fire i sold them okay sure. metaphorical so, fire. Me- metaphorical fire but i like that you sold them and made money well you know and, and then bought them back and then I bought them back it. because I, I realized i was a right, dumbass right. so i never had that moment but i definitely bought into this notion that we were a part of something very special yeah that was mm-hmm. unique it made us set apart mm-hmm. let me do the air quotes for you we were set apart. We listened to a privileged type of music that other people didn't get 
because they weren't quite up to snuff with us, uh-huh. right? You know, you ha- yeah. we all felt that way, kind of. Like we got something really special. I wore a band T-shirt t- to every single day of my of my high school, mm-hmm. probably. I don't think I ever wore a non-band T-shirt, and it was always Squad Five O or the Dingies or Smiley Kids or yeah. whatever MXPX stuff that people really were not identifying with. Yeah. And for me, I felt like, hey, this kind of makes me a different level. Yeah. Sure. Not maybe a better level, but maybe just a different. I'm a different kid in high school, which everybody in high school looks for. Yeah. Whatever that thing that makes them. If it's pink hair, if it's tattoos before they're 16, if it's anything like that, you're going to look for that inroad that you have to make you feel set apart. Yeah. yeah. And for me, obviously, it was the Christian music scene because mm-hmm. our band that I was in at, in high school was like, oh, we're opening for Slick Shoes. This is the greatest day of our life. Yeah. And every football player and pretty girl in high school said, Slick what? Right. <laughs> Didn't matter. It was not getting me the cred I needed, right? Right. Let me let me take things in a different direction for a second, <laughs> which is to say, so you worked on the, the Tooth and Nail documentary, right? Was that? Ye- well, yeah. You're part of it. So one thing we were wondering about in a recent episode is like, does that scene still exist in any way i mean like who are we don't really know who are like the current tooth and nail bands if there's a christian punk scene that really still is going mm. and i don't know if you know either but i'm very good friends with the a and r director of tooth and nail okay. still okay and in you know the tooth and nail world they're doing better than they've done in a decade oh really interesting now okay with bands that are much more homogenized mid-range secular slash Christian market bands. Hmm. The reality is that there's no physical retail space for people to go out and discover this kind of music anymore that is very specific, mm-hmm. meaning there's no Christian bookstores. No. There's no uh, you know physical retailers to discover music unless you're a vinyl nerd like me, and there's little record stores sure. spattered throughout the country that I go to and dig through records. But I think that that really having a specific catered audience and a niche that the Christian bookstore sort of catered to at the time, which was us with the Diamante demo cassettes mm-hmm. of Poconaccia that we would listen to. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff doesn't exist anymore. So what To The Nail has really done has become a uh, like a band manager of okay. like a developer, an artist development agency okay. now, which is saying... Who do you want to target? What's your audience? Is it Warp Tour kids? Is it Christian churches? There's just not churches out there promoting shows anymore. Right. You know, there yeah. is a thriving, and I will say this related to ska music and punk yeah. rock music. There's a thriving backyard indie do-it-yourself sure. scene that exists in major metropolitan cities around the country. Chicago has one. Yeah. L.A. has one. New I York has one. Th- I think we're poised on a fairly significant if we're not already experiencing it um pop punk resurgence i think it's well i see the same thing for ska music right now Uh, yeah i think i mean a lot of music is cyclical but i think that there's especially people our age i'm assuming we're approximately similar ages um in our mid-30s yeah. Um, yeah, 34. 34, yeah. Putting it out there. Yeah. 35. So, yeah, so we're both 34. John's 35. And I think there's this level of nostalgia uh, for 
the music of our youth. Sure. And and I think when you think back to, you know, that 15, 20 years ago, that, that those first discoveries, you know, you, you talked about, you sort of hinted at like, oh, you know, us Christians, we had something special. But in a way, yeah, discovering music in a very organic way. Yeah, through it, flyers and a show. Yeah, through a, a show, through some random compilation, right. which is how I discovered MXPX. Songs with penalty box, please? No, I think <laughs> I it was actually... The I dinosaur did, one. <laughs> it was Never Say Dinosaur. Nice. And Joe Christmas's cover is great on that. Yeah. So, and it's sort of embarrassing to admit, admit that, but you you can't go. You didn't have a Spotify to go. Okay, I like this band. What else sounds right. like what? And th- that just didn't exist. Right. So you had to, you know, actually or go to a show to or, or through liner notes or yeah, or have a friend be like, I recorded this off the radio sure. on a tape. Like an yeah. idiot trying to, you know, get it just right with the DJ speaking over the first ten seconds. Right. That son of a bitch and ruining my mixtape. Right. But that that was a special time. Yeah. And and I, I'll sound a thousand years old, but like kids right now, they don't understand that sort of that experience. And it does feel it does feel different. You don't have to try as hard. To find a band nowadays and so it is kind of less special and i feel like because you have a million me too bands to right. to your point like you know you just every band is trying to sound like just that other band and but when uh, one of these punk rock bands came out of the west coast or out of you know orange county or out of seattle or right bremerton or whatever it did feel like i'm in chicago and there's this band I'm listening to that, you know, there's this mixtape or there's sure. this compilation or I saw them with whatever band and they were amazing. I have now I have their patch and I'm putting it on my jacket. Right. And it felt it felt it very, very special. Well, so on the visceral standpoint, at that time, 1997 or 98, we're talking about a quantifiable dollar amount associated with the success of these bands. Yeah. Right, 1998, Supertone sold 100,000 copies of Supertone right. Strike Back. MXPX sold 150,000 copies of Slowly Going the Way the Buff. Whatever the number was, it doesn't matter. Sure. But there were actual statistics and physical data that showed, hey, this is how successful a band is. Yeah. We're in 2018 now, which is 20 years later. Yeah. What are the terms and conditions of a band's success Mm -hmm. if they release a new record like mxpx is about to how do i have a conversation with mike or their manager tom about what it means to find success in 2018 you know what i mean like yeah it's a different conversation because for me i know that what links people still on an emotional or a nostalgic or a current level to mxpx is is things like memories is things like a feeling that you almost have that's intangible. Yeah. You know, it's not this is my favorite album because it sold the most. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Tooth and Nail goes through the same thing. Tooth and Nail Records is saying, okay, what are we trying to grab onto right now? Because we're going to get three cents royalty for every Spotify play of Fit for a King, 
a heavy metal band that they have signed to them right now, or Tyson Motzenbacher, who's an indie folk artist, and he's going out on tour, basically doing what DIY artists did back in the 90s, not having label support, not having a distributor who went and put their records out on shelves, because there's no places to put that record out on the shelf anymore. There's not. Tooth and nail as much as they'd love to have a giant distribution deal at every indie record store, a Best Buy, or a Target, or a Urban Outfitters, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. In fact, if anything, going to an Urban Outfitters in Chicago, Illinois, shows me, with all the clearance albums that they have on LP, right. that vinyl has a very limited capacity. Mm. It's not that it's dead. It's not that it's growing. It's just that it has a certain niche audience sure. yeah. for physical media. I want things like MXPX to serve as a light in sort of a dark, dark world of the music industry. Mm. And when I pitch an idea to MXPX, let's call it a vinyl record for their new album, I want it to be something that is exceptional, that will give a fan an experience, that will make them feel all the feels they felt in 1998. Oh my God. From that (laughs) moment they see the album cover, yeah. You know what I mean? Just go, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that feels just like that. Uh-huh. But it's also 2018, and I've had a lot of life experience now. Yeah. I've had a big amount of change happen to me. You, sir, have told me that your belief system is not bleeding heart Christian anymore. Well, definitely not. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's sure. great. We all evolve. We all change. We all have life experiences which change and shape and mold us. I think that this new MXPX record, for instance, speaks to specifically that evolution that we all go through, Mm -hmm. that this band is not interested in selling 100,000 copies of this record or going gold. And I I love that. I, I love the fact that this is a targeted campaign. We're gonna sell this to the people who are buying into the record. People who want the record, we're not, we're not gonna try and you know shove a record down your throat. We're not gonna try and get a radio single. We're not gonna try and get it in every record store or whatever. Right. And and the hardcore fans, the people that have been sticking with them for twenty five years, are are yeah. Like I'll, I'm here. I right. got you. I got your back. Here's the funny thing about that. I. I called a radio DJ from this radio station in Denver, Colorado called KTCL. They're a big alternative radio station that has supported MXPX for 25 years. Since Chick Magnet was the first A&M Records single that was ever released. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, if I send you a single for the new MXPX record and I send you a press release, is that enough? In In 2018, is that enough? Sure. And he said... Absolutely. We don't need more than that. We'll throw it on our indie punk record specialty show that we have, but if people really glom onto it, it's going all the time. Mod, you know, And this is a clear channel radio station, which wow. means it's the most homogenized thing right. that there is out there. Yeah. You know, And that's sort of what these guys sort of um, have to contend with. I don't think that this record is for just MXPX fans. I think that that was campaigned that way. Sure. I think that I built a package from the vinyl standpoint, and and Brian, who's here in in town, built a, a music video for Let's Ride that will tug on the heartstrings of every MXPX fan who has evolved yeah. so over excited. the last twenty years. 
I'm going to show it to you guys at the end of okay. this, by the way. So but I, I feel like the record itself is, is a self-titled record. Um, it's the 10th album fully produced that they have recorded. It speaks to a sense of just um, growth, but it's it's going to be widely accessible. Okay, two things. Yeah. Um, so I I was on board with the the Kickstarter live stream that last night um, when it was the the very last day where you could buy into the campaign. Yeah. And somebody had asked. Um, if they had to compare the sound of the album to a particular era, uh-huh. um, what would it be? And Tom said it would be um, from life in general to the ever-passing moment, sort of in that that realm of sound. Um to what degree do you think that's accurate? That's completely accurate. Yeah, Ooh. I'd say that there's a little bit of plans within plans a, in I there. I just got a little okay. hard. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> there's some plans within plans. Here's the thing about it. The reason he said that is because adding Chris, their mm-hmm. sort of second guitar live player, yeah, brought a dynamic into the band that said we are going to take what Mike has built as a framework for an album and a framework for song structure, and we're going to really top it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that I, the problem with maybe before everything and after and post that record, if it wasn't the band collaborating, it was more of a producer coming in and shaping the nature of the song. So before everything and after is a that, notable example. That was always my theory about that album. Yeah. That it... It, producer shaped right yes and it so one of it was so even though it's like to me one of the glossiest um most produced albums that i think they've released it also to me is like like nothing about it especially stands out in terms of like there's some albums that i'm like every like this mxpx album this is a guitar album this is like has so many great riffs and i find myself you know air shredding to the album and and i don't know i might be getting too far ahead of myself before we get to that album just a couple a couple episodes from now but um it's it does feel like it it was a big divergence from um what had I always found it very peculiar to use my um, albums as a an example. So from the ever passing moment right. to the Renaissance EP, something happened sure. to get to this. Like yeah. this being sandwiched between here, I don't know how you get from the Renaissance EP. To before everything and after. It's crazy easy to explain. Okay, because this this album to me, I'm like, when I got I, I picked this up at the Renaissance EP. The Renaissance EP at at uh, Sam Goody actually. Sure. Goody got uh, it. Goody got it in in Wisconsin. Goody got it in Wisconsin. Okay. And I was so pumped about it. Yeah. Because I listened to him like it's because this is a nine song EP. It's right. only like. 
20 minutes. It's a very short album, but it's like almost a full, it could be almost a full album. And I was really excited about it. And then when Before Everything and After came out, I was... So let's forget the Renaissance EP for a minute. And pretend that those I are. I will let's, not. Sir. Let's let's pretend that those are demos, uh-huh. because that if you look at the credits on that record, recorded at the compound. It was yeah. I mean, it's songs that were basically built as an infrastructure, in my opinion, for the follow up to before or for the ever passing moment, right? Ever passing moment is officially the debut record of MXPX on a major label, A and M Records. Technically, A&M intercepted Life in General and Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo, but they were already recorded for Tooth & Nail Records. Right. right. Tooth & Nail had to fulfill a contract for MXPX. They were recorded. A&M bought out the rest of the contract. Yeah. So they released records that were released essentially for an indie Christian, let's not call it Christian, but let's just be realistic. That's really what Tooth & Nail was catering to at that moment. Sure. It wasn't catered to radio. Yeah. It wasn't catered to making big hit singles, smash songs that would yeah. make a band like Blink-182 <clears throat> famous. Right. So these two records, Life in General and Buffalo, were recorded into that context. They record Ever Passing Moment as the debut for A&M Records, right? And for me, Responsibility is the biggest song that they've ever yeah. recorded. It's right. the biggest hit single. So they have a massive smash hit song with George went on the music video, <laughs> yeah, and they're golfing and it's silly. pushing people into the pond, and they're touring at that time for that record with Blink One Eighty Two on the Enema State tour. Yeah, I was on that tour. I was there. I mean, I went to it. Yeah, yeah, with Wade, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wade John Open. Potter main stage yeah. in it with John, uh, Travis Barker's debut with the band, all uh-huh, that stuff, uh-huh. right? So, so they're the next uh, quote unquote Blink One Eighty Two band. Yeah, and. They start recording some songs locally that they obviously probably present. To, this is hypothetical. Let's just be honest. But you send Lonesome Town or you send some of these other tracks that are great songs to a record label, and, and the record label has to fish by virtue of their own like existence. They have to fish for a single. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. What single that would be mass appealing on a What's My Age Again, Blink-182 level? Right. Off of the Renaissance EP, what song would be that single? Yuri Wakes Up Screaming. <laughs> Naturally. You. That's what I thought. Just kidding. So, I mean... So Fat puts it out on a side deal. I says, we'll license that. out yeah. these songs. Fat right. Records puts it out and says, hey, we've always wanted... We like you guys. In fact, I talked to Fat Mike about this. Okay. At his actual Fat Warehouse for uh-huh. one of my travel travelogues. He said, I put out the Renaissance EP from a Christian band. Telling them, if you guys fucking mention Jesus in your <laughs> album, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Uh-huh. Don't talk about God and we got a deal. Sure. So I'm expecting is like, yeah, it's a punk rock label. We want to show people that we're still punk rock and indie. Yeah. They put it out. But at the end of the day, it's not got that hit single. So they got to record before everything and after. That's got to have a couple of punchy, well-produced, right. super hot you know what I mean? The way yeah. that What's My Age Again is or right. whatever, all the small things. All the small things is just a cheat of a yeah. song, right? right? Yeah. You can't chorus na 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 We broke this story. MXPX scooped them on we, that. Right. <laughs> MXPX had that shit locked down. Na na na. Blink 
Na 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 na. Yeah, I get yeah. it. It's so. And everybody's na, like, na, Blink One Eight. What? Yeah. Like, is it the, isn't it the same producer for Before Everything After? Yeah. It's um for Steve Kravak did did Buffalo. No, not Buffalo. Na 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 is from Before Everything After, isn't it? No, it's um, na na that's, na 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 na. That one is na yeah. na na na. That's the na 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 song. <laughs> we were, we were we were taking notice of the na na Similarities. na 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 from Life in General. Na 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 na. And how that oh, thank you. that okay. preceded that's Life in General. And yeah, it, uh, I was thinking southbound. Of, I was thinking of the other one. I know what you're I mean. About. It worked to Destroyed some extent. Destroyed by you is your song. Destroyed by you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That before was their biggest selling record, right? I mean. Didn't that move more uh, units? Technically, let it, okay. Let okay. it happen is the okay. biggest selling record. Interesting. <laughs> Which is great because what that speaks to is the fact that it had 32 songs or something yeah. stupid. And people were like, 32 songs for $9.99 yeah. at Best Buy? I'm yeah. doing it. Okay. I know there are... I'm just going to be honest. I know that there are some not great feelings at that time between yeah. Tooth and Nail and the band. And slowly especially when those albums were released at approximately the same time. Sure. It was a dick move. However, Let It Happen is a fucking jam <laughs> after really jam I know. after jam. I know. And I love that album. I, I will not apologize I for know. loving that album. It Nobody has, will. It's it it has it I I wish and I, I get the band's point to to the band's point. If someone picked up that versus slowly or life in general, they'd be like, "This album sounds like shit. It doesn't. It sounds underproduced. They sound like they're, they're demos. Yeah, because they are. they are. Sure. And so I, I. But ha- they're so good. But they're so good. I wish those songs could have a proper release because they kind of did like if you heard let it happen the deluxe edition hmm. did they did they re yes did they yes nobody because realizes I, it i have they I mean, are the intentional versions of those songs hmm. okay well nobody I mean, got that but that was a missed memo let's call it and that was the day that i met those guys at the acoustic show was the re-release of the deluxe edition let it happen okay and mike took it upon himself to say, I'm not okay. It's, it's funny, he did the same thing with the Arthur record. The mm-hmm. Arthur Loneliness is yeah. Bliss record. Yeah, right. Those things sound like uh, um, Thought About, that first song that's on the beginning of that record. Thought About sounds completely different between Loneliness is Bliss and the Watch the Years Crawl By. He re-recorded it and mm-hmm. made it sound like it was supposed to sound all along. Yeah. He did the same thing with, with Let It Happen. Well... I I totally missed the boat on that. I know it's fine, and because I this this album I got it when it came out, and it the thing that I, I think people it touched people on such a fundamental level because it did have that you had really really super well produced stuff. I can't think of Jerry's name, but Jerry did uh, Ever Passing Moment. He also did. Um, Blink-182, Enema of the State. He, he passed away a few years ago. Right. The, Jerry Finn. Jerry Finn, thank yeah. you. Jerry Finn did both of those records, right? And Jerry was all about taking rawness and polishing it into something that was like a diamond. Mm-hmm. Talented as hell at doing mm-hmm. that, right? But you couldn't take the diamond out of 
let it happen unless it was re-recorded. Sure. You know what I mean? And so when people heard it, it served as sort of an antithesis to Blink-182, which was sounded very well produced. It yeah. had a keyboard. It had extra orchestrations. It was very well produced and, and just polished. Whereas Let It Happen felt still very punk rock to the MXPX fans who were used to hearing Teenage Politics or right. Poconatra. They were like, this is the MXPX I grew up with. Yeah. This sounds like when I hear Let It Happen, the song, or GSF, or when I hear... Small um, Town Minds. Small Town Minds. You're like, yeah, this is so good. raw, ugly God. stuff, but it's real. Yeah. It's what I grew up with. We're we're approaching the one hour mark. This is this is pretty on on brand for this podcast where we're like we're (laughs) we're already pushing we're already so deep into the nerdy. Well, no, but But this is whoever is listening to this right now has gone. Oh yeah, no, but this is this mainly our MXPX memes, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Here's the thing. At this point, we've released of recording this episode. We've released only two episodes online. and I think some people are recognizing, like, oh, we are looking at the albums critically. Mm-hmm. We're not fanboying over the band or Mike or the albums and right. doing There's a reality ro- there. We're we're doing we're not doing a rose colored sure. glasses sort of situation. Yeah. Um, so some people might think, oh, we're we maybe dunked a little bit on poking at you that we are maybe a little too hard on on the album in our review but truth be told the only thing that i will say to encapsulate is that album suffered only from the overall production struggles and about 63 percent bad songs <laughs> you know I, I think we're bigger fans of it than you good for you okay so th- <laughs> we, th- our main our main critique of it was that it, it was too long they could have cut about a quarter of the songs, um, but otherwise, we feel like it was a um, overall a, a, a decent effort. So, Jason, let's talk. We were just talking Poconatcha. Let's talk your top three Poconatcha songs. Hit me with your top three Poconatcha songs. Time brings change. Ears to hear and wanted. Okay. Want it. I mean, okay, so melodic pop punk at its best. It's not the minor key stuff. It's not the meandering stuff. It's not the solo driven stuff. It's just straight up, to the point, straight punch. Okay, say say them <laughs> one more time. Here's to hear. Here's time, to, time brings change. Okay, and one ad. Okay, so you have one ad. Yep. I have ears to hear. Uh huh. S- but I, we both have walking by, and uh, <laughs> not into it. No. Jason's not into it. Walking by, I have think twice. Think twice is good. Yeah. And John has PXPX. Sure, gotta have. Makes it, sense. It's a classic. Well, think, it has think twice it, and rainy day are kind of the same song. <laughs> sure. So I get rainy day on the next record. Okay. Okay, you're welcome. So you, okay, so Jason's <laughs> not wearing headphones. Okay, so I'm playing. I'm playing Think Twice because this is this is the jam. I don't care. Tell me about it, I know I do it too. This, this one can't. Yeah. 
we were talking about this. It goes from the hardcore verse to the pop punk chorus. The more standard MXPX sound. Think twice. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I don't know. But see, in Think Twice, you're bonded by the Son of God. Um, uh, you know, it's a brotherhood. So it's, I know it, it is a brotherhood. It's very, it's very different. Y'all and y'all, whether you realize it or not, we are a brotherhood. That's right. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Goddamn right. <laughs> okay. It's true. So, we are a brotherhood. We all know it. Are we? T- right. We're doing this for each album. <laughs> we're we're only doing. <laughs> hey, listen. You don't understand. Okay. You're deep in the well now. All right. If you're oh, down, we're if we're you're, down. No, like if you're down, Let's we are so Let's down. Let's hit that okay. three hour mark. Teenage politics. Hit me. <laughs> like stands through the hourglass. Ooh. Okay. Americanism. Yeah. And uh, I think twice or rainy day. Okay. Great. Okay. I have money tree is great. Money tree but, is great. Yeah, because fuck college. Punk rock show, Specifically is, our college. Punk rock show is great, and it's an- anthemic, and you can't write a better song than that for punk rock. Yep, that was my word, anthemic, as well. No, it's like, okay, let the record show. Go back and listen to our Teenage Politics episodes. <laughs> you like it John so. and I will say we literally could have put, like, in, in, interchange any three songs yeah. On on it. We we probably could have made an argument for why we put any particular teenage politics song sure. on our top three. Dolores is rough. <laughs> oh, I love what? Dolores. <laughs> Did you know that it was about Dolores Reardon of the Cranberries? Like I believe it. At okay. the, the beat okay. like when you when, I didn't when know you first until... heard it. Recently, in nineteen ninety five, Dolores Arrudian from the Cranberries have to do with the IRA. She's Irish. My girl she hates the IRA. the IRA. All the bombs. It's going up. it's. She's a fantasy. She would write the most beautiful love songs for him. But do you have to let it linger? <laughs> you do have to a little bit. Yeah, a little you bit because you're a zombie. You have to. You <laughs> have to let it linger. <laughs> yes, dude. Thanks. That was on. That was perfect. Uh. So okay. So. So my mine are teenage politics, democracy, and Americanism. I put the the two super most political fuck the government songs on there. And even though I probably could have argued for any number of po- uh, teenage no politics punk songs. punk rock show? John had punk rock show. Okay, sure. Okay. I mean, it's 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 almost like one of it's almost like the expected I don't want to see MXPX play live without hearing that song. Yeah. No, no. I, I say this at the end of this. I say this in the our they, politics if, episode. If, if the show is over, right? If the show is, and they haven't played American, punk rock, Americanism. <laughs> yeah, I would love if that. Ameri- like the song, I I would assume they've played approximately zero times. No, it's like, got to be a point three three percent. Yeah, like probably in 1995. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, I I doubt okay. Mike has ever played that song in the past 20 years. Right. But if if the show hasn't if the show hasn't had punk rock show, right? The show's not over. I get it. But I love this song. There are any like you know, um, rainy day. It's like rainy day. Okay, like listen. study humans. I love some study humans. I know. It's a, it's a it's a weird ass okay. song. Can I you know. can you confirm is Bry is Bry a real person? A real person. I couldn't. 
I couldn't tell you. Can we get oh, to the dude. bottom of this? Can you can you crack this wide open? You want me to text Mike right now? Yes, text Mike <laughs> right now. What's text his... Mike right now. What's... Ask him if Bry is a real person or if he was only trying to rhyme with I. And if her name was Bree and he was only trying to rhyme with I. Mm. And we can get back to that. What's the name of the song? Study humans. Study humans. He's gonna be like, and dude. He knows. Study. He knows. He knows you're with us right now because I was um, twittering. B R I. B R I. B R I. Study humans. Eight more albums to go. All right. <laughs> Let's just go through slowly. I texted him. We'll All see right. if he okay. responds or not. Okay. Mike will be on the pod Mike, shortly. Mike will be saying. on the pod. What we're saying is Mike definitely doesn't hate our podcast okay so uh life in general top three go destroyed by you is my one of my mm. favorite interesting okay it's so simple here's the thing about life in general no fills on the drums totally not a single oh. one teenage politics you get songs like like sands to the hourglass which start with a fill yeah and they're very fill heavy on the Yuri standpoint. Life in general, I defy you to find a single drum hmm. fill. That's interesting. There's not okay. one. And that was intentional. Steve Kravak went through the production of that record and said, you're losing time or hmm. you're, it's, it's slowing. Okay. It's making the song change its dynamic. That's actually my critique of Slowly. Right. Because Steve Kravak, the, he... It's it's just so very much drums are there's like almost no fills on the album. It's almost like snare. He might have just okay, been playing so, a snare on that right, album. So before everything and after and life in general were both Steve Krebeck right. produced. So that was an intentional decision. It was saying, let's get rid of the fluff. Let's get rid of the things that might. But this make is things- this is assuming that people don't want complex Listen, drums we cannot predict what are they doing up in canada or define what 1999 looked like in the lexicon of the world it's impossible. honestly honestly i love drum fills honestly i'm not interested in just very straightforward drums honestly i would like to have a few more drum fills honestly okay okay so the the, the point is um <laughs> Life in general, without a doubt, I would say Move to Bremerton is a great track because without a doubt, I was the guy who took a ferry to Bremerton, stood in front of the Move to Bremerton sign from the record, uh-huh. and took a picture of myself with yeah. my mom taking the picture saying, hey, you're on the album cover the of Move to Bremerton EP. and That doesn't exist anymore, right? Not that, at all. Yeah, It's a ferry terminal that's been completely... Oh. Washington yeah. State Ferry has completely redesigned that terminal oh. with a... It's gorgeous. Beautiful water fountain. It's like a volcano. It's a nice little port for people to show up and spend an hour across the Puget Sound. And it's I spent beautiful. ten years. I spent ten years in that area in Bellevue, it's a, Washington. It's a. It's so I have a picture of me right there. I'm holding up the Move to Bremerton EP. And and I like that's a cherished memory for me. Yeah. Right. No, dude. And you, so wh- while you while you were experiencing that, I was on um, my bus in maybe eighth grade. Right. Yeah, me too. Listening, 
listening to this EP. What class were you? Uh, we senior well, graduating class. I graduated uh, in two thousand two. Me too. So we're okay. the same age. Yeah. So I remember listening to this EP on my CD discman in the back of the bus. Yes. Um, and I. But do but do like listening to the but listen listening to Mike on this right. this radio cut. And having some guy and be like, what are you listening to, Hanson? Are you listening to Mbop? And I'm like, no, man, I'm listening to punk rock. Right. I'm listening to MXPX and right I ha- now. I had to see and experience it for myself. So that's the only difference. When you ask questions like what makes you in the, quote, uh, sphere of MXPX influence, it's simply saying, I have to be in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I have to believe that I can be part of that circle. No, I enough and I'm, to I'm go do super, it. I'm super jealous. And so, yeah, you've got a 1997 picture of me in front of Move to Bremerton sign. Yes. At the ferry terminal that is like the only reason we literally walked off the ferry. Yeah. <laughs> walked <laughs> back on the ferry because there wasn't nothing to see in Bremerton at that time. Yeah. Uh, apart from it. me thinking, yeah, that literally that car picture on the CD yeah. of the cars lining up at the ferry terminal, that's me with my mom <laughs> and my brother saying, that could be me. What's your mom's name? Jackie. Ja- shout out to Jackie for making a dream come true. <laughs> yes. Love it. But, but that she that she humored you enough. Right. Like, fucking, you want go to wanna go to Bremerton? You want to go to Bremerton and stand in front of... Okay, and whatever, Jason... You know what? And I did. Let's do it. And so that that's the point. It's like this band made simple things very real. Yeah. Yeah. Simple things that were attainable, like me and your heroes. This is this is what going back to talking about the Christian bookstore scene, that is what we you weren't talking about some they weren't talking about stuff in their in 1998 in the, you weren't talking about ricky martin doing the mocker no whatever what did he do he did um living la vida, la vida, loca. Living la vida loca so you weren't no. talking about ricky martin you were talking about jeff fortson from squad 5-0 yeah being your buddy no no you were talking about standing in front of a sign of some podunk city in, in right. washington state exactly and and like you know, changing the street signs you drive down so some girl you loved would come to your town. That that right. sort of thing that's like it's it's not like too outrageous to think, oh, I could go to the state and stand in front of the sign. That's exactly right. That's that that is one of those attainable things. So when you ask questions like, what makes you feel like you're working with MXPX? It's the same question as what makes you feel like you know, when you were in high school and you saw the popular jock, that you're like, oh, that could be my, be my buddy in 10 years. At the high school reunion, maybe that guy would be my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, That's all that there is here. And it's attainable because we're people and we're simple and we're not concerned with popularity or clicks or anything like that. It's only a matter of going, hey, that guy made a serious impact on me. My career made a, like, I can't deny the fact that that guy made an impact on me. And to be able to give it back and say, hey, I care enough about what the whole entire scope of this whole thing is that I want to make your 10th record look fucking awesome. Right. Which, and when he it hears does. that, <laughs> because when, we've seen we that saw some shit. cover art and it looked it, dope. It's the, it's John Nissen is baller extreme. Right. And when when Legend. you put that out there, 
you want people to go, this feels like it's part of canon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Not that it's outside of canon, but it's like, oh, this is canon of MXPX for 25 years. Yes. This makes sense within the context of everything I've known and assumed about them Mm. as people. Yeah. All of that stuff was a concern of mine. Yeah. And so to have that narrow scope as a fan, all I am is a fan. That's all I am. I'm nothing else. I do nothing. Well. No, nothing. I'm telling you that flat out. As a fan, I want every other fan who feels the same emotional connection with his band and with Mike and with everything that they've written and said over the course of 25 years to be out there and identifiable in the context of 2018. Okay, but is emotion your middle name? Yes. Okay. That's it's all of our middle names. That's it's, that's the takeaway. Any fan of the band is that's their middle name. Yeah, and, yeah. And any new fan of the band who hears this new record is going to go, oh yeah, that's my middle name. God yeah. damn, I can't, I'm so I excited. can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I so when Mike messaged me today on Twitter and almost just destroyed my existence, um, I I was telling him how pumped I am for this record because the fact that it's been six years which i think is the longest stretch that you guys you have no idea how cohesive this record is compared to the last no we don't (laughs) i know but i'm really excited to learn but i'm telling y'all that moment when you heard slowly going the way of the buffalo what's the song that's no lyrics Oh, the theme fiasco theme fiasco fiasco. where they're writing this bizarre (laughs) off-key sort of you know it's like a meandering uh sort of scale so what you're saying is it's the album is pretty much like when this album kid quit it listen shit man kid quit it when this album kicks off yeah the moment you hear it and the moment you get to that first bridge yeah and you go oh (laughs) theme fiasco yeah and you go wait they're trying something different here cool yeah they're trying something unique and it's not gonna be just power chords mixed in with a major key verse and a major key chorus there's nothing like that going on these guys are in it for themselves to make something they're proud of Mm. that's what this new record's all about cool so you you're gonna hear it and you're gonna go oh no (laughs) Everything I hope for for MXPX has been upped. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, okay. Where does this album rank? Canon-wise? In 10 out of 10. Because, by the way, um, Jason can't hear this, but I just put Theme Fiasco on our headphones right now. So where does this, where does MXPX self-titled rank? It's a hard question. It's a rough question. Listen, It's not a 1 out of 10 comparison because... My life has been such a narrative, and this band is following my narrative of life. When I heard, like, 1995, when I heard Summer of 69, when I heard that song... It changed everything. I was fucking 14 years old, and it was just pow. Yeah. And it's 2018, I'm 34 years old, and I'm going, oh no, it's happening again. And I'm embarrassed. Cool. I'm excited, man. No, but and I'm embarrassed that I'm listening to this and going, this is exactly what I needed today. This is the summer record that I needed to make me feel poppy and bright. This is the 2008 
record or 18 record that I needed to feel like, hey, I've uh, developed enough as an adult to not feel trapped in a Diamante based <laughs> lexicon of like records. This that is what you like need to this. listen to. The records don't sound like what I need to listen to anymore. Sure. No, I they like don't. what I like, and I feel very confident in that voice that I have as a musical listener. And when I hear the new MXPX record, I go, oh, yeah, that's right there. Cool. Meets okay, it. so you said destroyed by you, moved to Bremerton. Probably today is my way. Mm, okay. Good one. Good Probably. One. Okay. Maybe so, New York to no- nowhere, but yeah. it's because it's such a banger and Yuri is so yeah. fast. Yeah. Okay. Was that no, New York to nowhere yeah. was on my top three yeah. because same with your problem, my emergency, because Yuri crushes I know. on that on Yuri crushes on this whole album. No. He is he is a beast on this whole album and, and, and nothing is more evident than than your problem my emergency. So it's New York to nowhere, your problem my emergency and doing time because doing time gets to the goddamn point. I know. It's it's so short, it's so sweet. You don't need. There's nothing else. That was on both of our top yeah. threes for that record, right? It's um, doing time. Yeah, yeah. It's because if like there are some songs you're like, oh, this is a great song, but I don't know. But doing know. time, it's a buck twenty four. It's done. You're done. I you can, it. and it's so classic. It's done before you even like realize it's it's started. Okay. But, and it's a classic black and white short music video i remember getting that tooth and nail uh, i had a tooth and nail vhs tape that had a bunch of music videos it had um mxpx it had um joy electric it had it had like um uh, all the hot... i still have all those vhs by the way yes yeah. without a doubt yeah for sure i I, I taped no it off the box. Do you I guys have. remember that? Oh, of yeah. course the box. <laughs> Canadians. Yeah. When the version actually, of MTV. They actually played music videos. Do you remember videos. Toy Box? Best friend? Yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Hell Aside. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, now on to... Slow, we won't make you go... last one. We won't make you go through all of it. I'm good uh, to go through Ever Passing. I can keep okay, going. Okay. okay. I don't have my Ever Passing ready. Okay, but, I have my, I have my, I hold take it. another look, so slowly. Yeah. Hit me. Downfall of Western civilization. Yep, somewhere up front, and then probably invitation to understanding for sure, absolutely. And then, ah, man, what's the first song called? Um. Under lock and key. Under lock and key. That was that was on mine. That was my top three. John John got the. (laughs) You had like it was like the first four songs. You like you went we went through the first four songs. Really hard to not go for those. I had under lock and key. Final slow dance. Final slow dance is great. And uh, downfall. I remember when I was playing with those like at Monkey Trent Studios, doing the like he wanted to practice all ever passing moment songs. And I would try to remember, like, is this song Final Slow Dance, or is this uh-huh. Under Lock and Key, or what song? There was a couple songs that I got mixed up with. So, what were you? You were you I were was... Under Lock and Key, Final Slow Dance, and Downfall. 
Okay. Okay. I and I was I'm okay, you're okay, which I know it's the No, I get it. Like I like I think I first heard it even I first heard it as the cooties. Yeah. Because right. of course. Uh slowly was the first album that I purchased as it was being released. Okay. Um because I, my first album was um Teenage Politics. Right. Life in general. Mm-hmm. Went back to Poconatcha and was like, "WT fuck," and then slowly. I think you missed the wrong initials there. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, so, but okay, so it's I'm okay, you're okay, right? Invitation, understanding, right? And what's mine is yours. Give me uh, ever passing moment. Let's just play this out. Okay, uh, buildings tumble. Great. Educated guess. Yeah. And it's undeniable. Oh, interesting. Those are good ones. Interesting choice. Gosh. Yeah, I gotta go with misplaced memories first yeah, on that one because that might be on mine. I have cruised down Chico Way enough <laughs> times in my life to go to Michelle's house and see the compound and listen to the band record or like fill merch or whatever. There was okay. two things I did when I visited Bremerton, which was I drove southbound on I five, yes, and I felt great about life, and then I cruised down Chico Way and I was perfect. Like, I'm done. Okay, so the one my one thing that i'll say about it's undeniable yeah which some people might be like andrew you're an atheist why are you choosing it's undeniable because he says the first step that i needed to take was giving god control that's a struggle for me every day and i'm letting you all know the it's undeniable we're so much smaller than we think we are is a line that stretches from this album to infinity okay because it doesn't matter what theological space mike was in or what i was in we we are so much smaller than we can even possibly contemplate or understand that's correct and we are so self-absorbed right and so self-involved it's that that it that that is the takeaway line for me not only is it just a jam it just rings true despite whatever theological right. takeaway you have from this album. It's funny because I mentioned earlier in the podcast that Mike Herrera, at the end of the day, is not concerned with what Jason Hockney's I is up to at any point in his life. It's fine. He likes me. We're buddies. We're friends. Uh-huh. But any friend that you have in your life, at the end of the day, does not necessarily go... Oh, what's he up to on Thursday afternoon, June the twenty eighth? Sure, John. It, I it, it I, I expect John. I expect you to be concerned. It's with- a it's a bizarre thing for millennials <laughs> to to grasp when the world resolves revolves around social media and says everything you're doing is important. Sure, everything you're doing matters. But the idea that on a tangible landscape there could be potentially out there. A higher power that says, hey, I got you today, tomorrow, maybe the next day, whatever it is. I'm, I'm walking through this with you on a sort of like whole landscape of your whole life. And that being Jesus or God, that's a really important thing for me still today. Mm, yeah. That matters to me. And it might be a completely self-absorbed notion that millennials, pre-millennials had of like, what am I doing that's important and how do I matter to the other people in my life or the people who influence me? At the end of the day, it's not important what 
how much if I matter whether or not to MXPX or to a, another favorite band that I have in the world. It's about hey maybe there is something out there that I have that kind of relationship with besides my wife or my three-year-old daughter. That's a good thing for me. Yeah. That's a positive thing for me, and that makes it like a big a big difference in my emotional landscape when I approach complete strangers who swear at me every day in Chicago. <laughs> every day. Every day, cursing my name, and I'm a complete stranger to them. To have a sense of accountability to uh, loving generosity and grace, Sure, that's where my sort of Christianity perspective comes from. And I hate to say it, and it's embarrassing, but Mike Herrera and the MXPX world, especially those first three to four, even up to before everything and after with that song, If You Believe, mm. uh, those things made a difference to me mm. and still do today. No, and even as an atheist, it's still, these albums are still right. important. Isn't it nice to feel? It, it, it feels grounding. It yeah. feels because even if I don't like say, oh, let me just take Mike's theological points and just you know co- copy paste and put them into oh, my okay. my beliefs, but it's still I look back on them and I just think oh, it feels it feels incredibly comforting. comforting. It's yeah. very comforting to sure. to go back to that place. It's naive. And it's no, ambitious it, and it's audacious. Oh, and for sure. And it's also to the point of being uh, lambasting to other people and their belief systems. Sure. But at the same time, as a tw- as a 34-year-old to grow up in a world where I see my daughter's innocence, who's three years old, yeah, I see what's capable of feeling generosity and genteelness toward the world. And I say, man, there's a, like a... It sounds very religious for me to say, but like a Christ-like generosity to that, Mm. that makes me feel hopeful Mm -hmm. about new generations. You know what I mean? We can only hope. I hope so. And whether (laughs) or not it's based in sort of Christ theology or otherwise, I'm feeling like that's a good thing morality-wise to impart to other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's okay. If she identifies herself as a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old as a follower of Christ is not consequential to whether or not she's living within a moral compass that I want to raise her in. Sure. That's important to me, and that became important to me through bands like MXPX. Yeah. Um, Let's take a hard turn from that to... Um, the ska movie that you're working oh, on. Right. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. So, sure. How did this come about? Because this is this is exploding everywhere. This thing got funded in its first week. Right. Not not unlike uh, MXPX's first. Right. You know their 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 tenth album. Um, people were like. Holy shit! Yes, I am on board. So you're at uh, fifty-two thousand dollars. What? Eight hundred and eighty backers. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Pledged. What? The, the, 40, goal, the, goal. the goal was forty k, and it's, okay, at, it's so at fifty-two. When I do these 
Kickstarter funds, I don't have anything to do with... I don't ever pledge, so I don't know sure. what the updates are or yeah. when a certain milestone is hit or something like that. Uh, I got... I'm a big fan of this band called Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. I've They're from heard. Arizona. Okay. They used to be called The Refreshments back in the 90s. Oh, they had a song yeah. called The World is Full of Stupid People yeah. or Banditos. Huge fan yeah. of this band from Arizona. And as a result of following them, the Gin Blossoms, Dead Hot Workshop, and some of the bands out of Arizona, there became a sort of wellspring of bands that sort of uh, typified the Southwest desert rock sound. Cracker was also part of that movement, even though they weren't from Arizona. But in the 90s, I was really into alternative rock and really loved bands like that. There was a guy who made a documentary a couple of years ago about the refreshments. He called it Here's to Life, the story of the refreshments. Okay. He was out of Bend, Oregon, and his name was Taylor Morton. And the dude is just a genius in terms of filming what is the core heart of a band's story. So he hit me up and he said, hey, I know you know a lot about Roger Klein, the Peacemakers, the refreshments, and I want you to vet this storyline that I've sort of compiled. Okay. Check out the documentary. Send me any notes you have on the doc and tell me if there's things that I'm missing. And so I did, because I know a lot about that band. I'm as big a fan of that band as I am MXPX. And so I sent him back notes and ended up uh, sending him some footage of stuff that I'd shot. He calls me in January this year and says, I kind of want to make a documentary about Third Wave Ska. Hmm. As a big music sort of person and a vinyl file specifically i'm one of the few people in the world who's collected vinyl third wave ska mm. vinyl for the last 20 years mm -hmm. everything from skank and pickle to the decapitones to the uh the falling sickness five iron frenzy real big fish i've been collecting it all for years and years mm -hmm. uh and always followed it it's kind of a tempered style of music that I listen to, I'm meaning I can only take it in small doses. Sure. But when it was 1997 and Boss Jones came out with The Pressure That I Get and <laughs> Say Ferris came out with The World Is New and uh, the Come On Eileen cover. A great time. And even No Doubt in 95 coming out with Tragic Sickness or Tragic Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah, Thank King. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of Falling Sickness. <laughs> Tragic Kingdom. I heard this ska sort of third wave resurgence happening and I thought, this is for me. Hmm. So ever since then, I've collected all the vinyl records that have been subsequent for those bands. Even if it's rancid and it's on the fringes of punk rock meets ska music. Yeah. Or Slapstick, which is a Chicago band. Mm -hmm. Played Fireside Bowl all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and became Alkaline Trio and all right. sorts of other bands. This has always been a style of music for me. I made a documentary about sort of the third wave ska music with Taylor only by virtue of the fact that I lined up band interviews, set up locations for scouting for band interviews. And like everybody is in this movie. <laughs> everybody is in this movie. Yeah. Everybody who was important because it was a small anthill. Yeah. If you focus enough of your attention on a small anthill, I say you're going to be able to meet the queen sure. of the anthill. You're going to know who the queen is, yeah. who the epicenter is, and then all of the people who sort of consequently funnel out from that. 
Sure. And that was my experience with this Ska thing. I thought Ska was dead. 20 years dead. Uh-huh. Like, this thing died in 99. Over. Sure. Over. Like, truly. And so I got called from Taylor, the director, who said, hey, we want to go out to Back to the Beach Festival. It's a third wave ska festival, and we want to film a bunch of bands who are going to be there. I thought maybe, what, 2,000, 3,000 people are going to be at this show? At most, because it's talking about a genre that was popular in 1997 through 1999. Sure. Nobody's going to be there. 35,000 people show up. (laughs) And I go, what is happening in 19... Or 2018. What's happening right now? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And since then, uh, filming all these band interviews, going out to like cigar shops and lining up interviews inside of a cigar humidor with Big D and the kids table, Dave. Oh my God. <laughs> like going I'm to s- these. I'm so excited for this. Well, you, you, you think to yourself, when you approach a store manager, I feel very comfortable hearing no every day of my life. Sure. When MXPX... I have an idea for MXPX, and Mike says, absolutely not. <laughs> I feel very comfortable rolling to the next idea immediately and yeah. saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so the Scott movie is no different. So going to different locations and saying to an Italian restaurant, we love your wallpaper in your Italian restaurant. Will you film with us in your Italian restaurant? And they say, absolutely not. Uh-huh. I'm immediately on to the next place, which is like a liquor store that has a cigar humidor and saying, let's film there. Sure. Let's ask those guys. If they say no, we'll move on to the next place and so on and so forth. And so that's all I basically do for this ska movie is just try to help our director meet up with bands, their management, coordinate different locations for filming or whatever it is and i brought five iron frenzy sort of leonore the girl saxophone player along with me into that and said come out to california let's try to film something interesting you know a lot of these bands better than any of us do so yeah it's just i've discovered that the secret to success in all of this is surrounding yourself with people who are much better at whatever you wanting to do than you are and so if it's wanting to tell a story, make Mike Herrera tell a story about MXPX instead of you telling that story about MXPX. Yeah. If you want to tell a story about ska, make Aaron Barrett from Real Big Fish mm-hmm. tell that story about ska music than you sitting around telling your memories of ska music. Yeah. That's all it boils down to. And when you're 20 years past whatever it is, you're pretty likely to find those people accessible. Yeah. Instead of having to deal with major label management. Sure. So that's all there is to it. Scott movie, check out the Kickstarter if you can donate it to, to it for a Blu-ray or a digital download or whatever. Please do. That's fun. Okay, so we're 100% going to be donating to what degree John and I have been discussing because <laughs> um, we, I mean, I... I want to put it out on vinyl. That's my goal. Dude, that would be, like, as in, like, a... Like, the live, like a live versions like a of the hit songs so that the yeah. major labels don't have it. Oh, or or B-sides or something that the major Dude, labels don't own. Because licensing is a nightmare. It's checkered. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, oh, for sure. But, like, any sort of, like, to have, like, a vinyl cut of, like, even hits from this movie... Wouldn't it be the, great? It'd be amazing. Even I would, live. 
Uh, no. Yes. It's hard. It's really hard. Okay. Well, okay. That's to transition from from that to vinyl to ska. So you wrote uh, from modernvinyl.com. You wrote a, a feature called 20 Year Reissues We Need in 2018. So some of which have never been pressed on to vinyl, some of which you have like honorable mentions, things that okay. you think, yes. you know, like this, this should be at least have like some sort of 20 year release. So going from ska to this, something that I um, didn't see on your list that is also a 20 year release that is on vinyl but is also exorbitantly expensive for people to find is the less than jake hello rock view uh-uh. um sure which it's surprising looking looking at the vinyl online at ebay you're you're looking at the 1998 picture disc listen, release. Listen, listen. If you're gonna get into vinyl with me, you better know what you're up against. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just saying. It's brutal. Really? Hit it's, me. It's brutal. Let's hear Lesson it. Lesson Jake picture disc put out by Drive Through Records in 2002 was released a thousand copies on picture disc, but then Smart Punk came along in 2014 and released a bicolored half and half variant on their website i think it was limited to a thousand copies as well with the full artwork it wasn't a picture disc it was a full audio vinyl art uh you know just regular release with the comic book attached to it it's awesome full comic book so when that album was released in 1998 uh came out with a comic book i don't remember who illustrated it but uh smart punk put out the whole package in a half and half variant 2014 you can do your uh, research on that one on Discogs, but sure. I that has been reissued a second time, and is available for I would guess under fifty dollars. Yeah, I'm. What's the question? No, I'm 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 saying like I would as far as like a tw- like we're hitting twenty eight. This is twenty eighteen. It's a twenty year release. So Universal put that out. UME owns it now. Yeah, and some guy has to go to UME and approach them and say. I want to release 5,000 copies, 2,000 copies, 1,000 copies, 500 copies of it. And UME has to see the profitability enough to the point where they say, we'll license it to you for the next three years, whatever it is. Well. How close am I? What if, what if I'm trying to find it still. <laughs> Discogs. Um, what, uh, what are some of your biggest kind of success stories with, with, getting something on vinyl out that you... Licensing? Sure. (laughs) Um, So the thing on vinyl is that basically everything is rolled up to three major corporations in terms of ownership. If you want to put out Better Than Ezra Deluxe on vinyl, you got to go to UME or Columbia or whoever released it originally. Columbia, I think, is owned by Sony. So there's Sony Music. There's Warner Music. Warner and Sony, I think, are together, maybe. And there's Universal Music. MXPX's back catalog is owned by Universal. And I have been working my butt off to (laughs) 
put out the MXPX albums that are back catalog universal owned on Can vinyl. You, when you say back catalog, starting from where back to life in general. Well, technically, no, I'm sorry. Poconatra. Technically, it's Poconatra now because Tooth Nail sold all the licensing rights to Universal. So from Poconatra to... 13 or something like that? Yeah. Poconatra all the way until Panic. Panic is owned by Side One Dummy, which is independent. So you're talking about five or six records. Okay. If you want to include life in general. Or no, let it happen. Okay. Got it. It's a I mess. Would, it's I a would, freaking mess, man. Okay, so you own... You had texted me an image of all of the vinyl, MXPX vinyl that you that you own. So um, owning is a t- tricky thing. That's not accurate at all. The point is I've put in deal memos with Universal on some of these records in hopes that eventually we could put out an anthology box set. I okay. don't know if that's ever going to happen. Because be it's not just uni- it's not just universal licensing for Poconatra through before everything and after. It's talking about talking to Side One Dummy and Joe from Side One Dummy. And then talking to back to Secret Weapon, which is universal owned. Sure. Talking to those guys. And then talking to just flat out MXPX for plans within plans. It's a mess. Yeah. You guys don't understand how big of a mess it is. I it's bet. horrible. I don't. It's I, horrible. For me, and I had... Wouldn't it be nice to I just tweeted have at 10 Mike, albums? I, I, I tweeted at Mike. I'm like, I would love to be able to own... Because I'm a big vinyl nerd. Let's break too. this down. I would love to right. be able to own a physical... I'm, I'm one of those millennials who's like... I don't. Are we millennials? Yes, it's it's technically. I feel like it's 1980. 80, it's, it's it's always changing. It's, it's like always changing. But early, I've heard or early 80s Oregon Trail generation. It's <laughs> yeah. I rocked that Oregon Trail on on the uh, on the very early Macintosh. But I would love to be able to have a physical copy of those albums that were so of course transformational for me on vinyl. And, on vinyl, I to have, like, like I and have. If, if you were to go onto Discogs or eBay today, they're expensive as shit. So you'd be looking at a thousand dollars minimum entry fee for all, all of the it. discography. All of it, yeah. Without the exception of, I'm sorry, with the exception of before everything and after, which has never been released on vinyl. Right. So years ago, I went to Universal and said, "I want to do these things," and they said, "Okay." If you've got an extra 30 grand lying around, sure. which apparently I didn't. <laughs> right. Tricky. Uh, Funny how that happens. You can do anything you want. Yeah. So and the reality is on all of the vinyl licensing, anybody can do anything they want if they've got the money. Not only do you have to contend with the licensing of the record, yeah. the actual owner of the record will determine the terms of which the album is released does that make sense mm-hmm. meaning they had con- they hold the masters they hold the original artwork for these records right and it makes a big mess because um, a lot of reissue licensing labels that exist out there for vinyl records if you want to put out an eve six old record or something like that you have to make sure you have original artwork, you have original publishing, you have original 
master use licensing, which is basically the artist who wrote the song, and then you have to have the original audio tracks. So it's like it's actually like four or five licenses per record. It is a mess. And when you talk about MXPX having ten full-length yeah albums owned by various companies at this point, yeah, you can't simply walk in and say let's put MXPX owns the Poconacha Punk likeness rights sure but universal owns the actual album art likeness rights yeah and they own the publishing and they own the master use license you know all these different yeah. mike owns the master use license it's just a bunch of different licenses and it's a freaking mess the point i'm trying to make is if we can make it happen as a fan i promise i will do it sweet and the fans will be happy with whatever comes out even if it's hell expensive because you're talking about a single LP or a double LP costing, from a licensing standpoint, 20 bucks. Yeah. Entry fee. 20 no. bucks cost. I would... What I, would you pay for an MXPX record? On vinyl? Yeah. If Okay, so... 35? Yeah. A thousand percent. 30, no, not a thousand percent. That's not realistic. <laughs> Whatever you thought of as a fan, <laughs> I'm four, four steps ahead of that yeah. game. And, and I've had you. those conversations. Thank you. And as a fan, only as a fan, not as somebody who makes any goddamn money off of this, but as a fan, I want to make it happen for fans. Yeah. So that's you, all I'm concerned would you say, about. Would you say you would <laughs> let, let it happen? happen? I would let it happen as a fan. But um, it's not up to me. Boom! I have no control over it. MXPX. I will pay the amount of money that it re- is required to make it happen, but when fans come back and say... Thirty nine ninety nine for a double LP or a single LP is bullshit. Yeah. God, that's a real big buzzkill. You know what I mean? Or the um, new record or whatever. It's like people don't understand the economics of what it costs to put out a record these days. Sure. Because there's just so much demand. If Lady Gaga is going to get in front of you in the production line and produce 5,000 copies of a record or 10,000 copies of a record on vinyl... I guarantee you whoever's producing our record is going to get on board with the 10,000 copies above 1,000 copies, yeah, whatever sure. the record is. MXPX, for their Kickstarter, had over 4,000 backers. Sure. Almost $275,000 for their... So there are a significant number of people who are willing to support a an indie release of some kind uh-huh. and for and the and we're talking four thousand people in twenty eighteen uh-huh. that are still on board with MXPX. Sure. And I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way. But like people that are like, I have been on board from the get go and it's been 25 plus years and we're still here and right. we're still into whatever you're making without ever without hearing anything right we're we're into it and and if you take the 4000 backers that are like whatever you're not hearing we're into to say like your favorite album that we're going to make it available mass quantity like i think people would be like yeah i'm into that I hope you're right. I want to time, be right. Time will tell. Uh, Plans Within Plans, that that album for me, I I think it 
it continues to grow on me. Since this is the last album that I have to go on for as far as songwriting goes, it's encouraging. But but then again, six years is a significant time span in terms of songwriting and and style and what Mike has decided to do and um, the band being what it was and on hiatus for a while and then now being back together and and hearing Tom be as on board with this album as he was plans or the new one no the new one okay like that was encouraging to me for for somebody who is not really in the band for a minute yeah and to be like super excited about the album uh and he was the one who said this album is life in general ever passing moments slowly it's that era yeah, yeah. and that to me was like yes yeah that that got me excited. So so panic is going into this realm of thinking in your mid twenties that the world actually is continuing on without me, mm-hmm. and it will sustain itself, and it will continue into the abysmal or the positive, whatever you want to sort of frame it as. It's gonna go on. Uh, the story will end eventually. And then plans come, or secret weapon comes in and says, motivate yourself, go out and be the change you want to see in the world. The Gandhi sort of ism that they mm-hmm. have. And then, you know, plans is a, a record about, um, for me, the, the title track is stay on your feet. Quite frankly, stay on your feet is all about saying, okay, here's where we're at. I've gone out there, I've tried to be the change I see in the world, and it's not necessarily changing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. The world continues on with or without me making a huge impact. What am I going to do with that information? Am I going to uh, stay motivated, or am I going to um, get completely blown out by it? Now, the new record, I will say quite frankly, is it's just ambitious and saying okay i'm looking back and reflecting on my life and saying this is a beautiful thing it's awesome it's great Hmm. so that's where the new record sits it sits within the context of that whole entire narrative and says we're okay Hmm. we're gonna continue on press on Hmm. and uh, look back and say this has been a beautiful life and appreciate for the first time all of the struggle, all of the downs and ups. And so that's where the new record is. Hmm. All right. Well, Jason, thank you for um, hanging out with us for a couple hours. I know we we talked about doing a tight one hour. um, And we're approaching the two-hour mark, so we really... Super fail. (laughs) This is is just very on-brand for us that we're like... Dude, let's keep this tight. Let's just stay focused. And then, because when we did our uh, slowly episode, we're like, okay, our two and a half hour, <laughs> our two and a half hour life yeah. in general, that's too much. Let's let's rein it in. Yeah. And then it was 
two hours and 15 minutes. So um, thank you for hanging with us. We really appreciate it. The, the bottom line is I'm only a fan wanting to create a fan experience for every other fan out there. That's the only thing I'm concerned with. I don't care about me. I don't care about the band so much as I want everybody who's listening and everybody who holds a piece of vinyl or CD in their hand to go, this I completely identify with. And cool. this makes me feel like a culmination of 1997 me or nine or 2018 me yeah. whatever it is it's got to kind of all flow together and my goal in life is to just sort of like bring those ide- ideologies together in spite of how much we've all changed we've yeah. all felt so much change yeah sort of like from our uh whatever we feel emotionally or spiritually or anything in between it's it's got to kind of flow together through music and Mm -hmm. if i can make that experience happen visually and make it compelling i think that that's all i can achieve it doesn't matter who i am it's not important it's just about making the fan experience go oh this feels like the day that i picked up teenage politics on cassette yeah and i looked at it and i went this is the coolest thing there is Mm -hmm. And it still and is. <laughs> I hope New Record feels that way to people when they yeah. hear it or when they see it. And they go, all of these things work together for good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's totally. kind of a silly thing. And it doesn't matter what... It's not silly. It makes a thousand percent <laughs> sense. And we're, we're on board. And I think, I think once fans hear it, they're going yeah. to they're gonna, they're gonna get it. Especially people in our in our age bracket they're definitely gonna aka anybody who's listening to this podcast yeah probably this deep into the well of obscurity yeah Yeah, when you when you get into the weeds like we do this is this is like this is not like a we're not fucking around we want to get into the deep stuff we wanted to make something as a fan who aesthetically could say just objectively this is cool I'm into this band. It's 2018. I've just heard this for, for the first time. But then the guys who were small town minds guys at yeah. the Mercury Cafe in Denver, Colorado would go 100% in line with everything that the band has been up to before and since. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. That's what Nissen, who's the graphic designer for this whole artwork packaging and all that stuff, he and I were up to when we were doing this thing we were thinking about all those things and saying if it ain't canon it ain't worth it yeah and so that's a big deal to us so that's what you gotta look forward to when you see this artwork and know that that's where our intention is coming from yeah it's real good can't even wait (laughs) so john i think all that's left is well i think two things are left okay one do you want to plug anything, no. Jason? No, not at all. No, I no handles or anything me. like that. Not important. Okay, well, you could find him on various socials, and he's a, he's worth a follow. I'm Travel around. log. I'm around. An original <laughs> vinyl photo. Definitely. Original yeah, vinyl. Yeah. You can find him at uh, at modern-vinyl.com as he posts occasionally. Yeah. So follow not him. Yep. He's a cool dude. He's got a lot to he's got a lot to say, a lot to offer, a lot of great thoughts. Yeah, and and if you're even like uh 50 right 
with what comes out this year on vinyl, then we are. It's in, gonna be a good year. It's gonna be a great year. Oh uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Sure. I don't even know where we're at in terms of what we'll cover on the next episode. What the well, chronology is d- here. Depending but, uh, depending on if this comes out after. I mean, this is definitely coming out after. Ever passing? Ever passing. It's got to. Okay. Well, let's just Who say. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> on the next episode, we'll probably be talking about before everything and after when it'll be time for a podcast at our house, and it wouldn't be the same without you. So join us, won't you? Hey.